This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas, and experience, and just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season two. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Ian Thomas, who is the Chief Data Officer of Credera. So, Ian, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Carl. Lovely to be here. Now, pleasure is all ours. So, where we always start, Ian, is by asking our guests to give themselves, a, I guess, a brief introduction into their background and journey to date, if you'd be so kind. Sure, yeah. So, uh, I've been in the data industry for a bit more than, than 20 years now. Um, I started back in 2000, uh, co-founding a digital analytics or web analytics, as it was then, uh, firm uh, in London, um, and learned a lot about data in a, in a bunch of different contexts doing that, um, uh, which then took me to uh, Microsoft in the US, uh, having spent uh, quite a lot of time working with um, media uh, um, agencies and, uh, and media buying uh, in our digital analytics world. I went to Microsoft and uh, had a number of roles there running very large scale data projects for Microsoft, working with some of the, the biggest brands at the firm, um, including uh, MSN, Bing, um, Office and Windows, uh, and uh, learned a great deal there about both managing data at huge scale. We had 70 petabytes of data for uh, the Bing data platform, for example, um, but also uh, some of the really interesting cultural issues around getting data to be used well within a large and complex organization. Um, So that was a lot of fun. I saw a lot of change at Microsoft while I was there around that, um, which obviously we can talk about later. Um, and then um, after 12, 12 or so years at Microsoft, um, moved back to the UK and spent some time working in a chief data officer role at Publicis Group, one of the large um, agency holding companies, uh, helping data professionals across the group to understand what their sort of career paths and competencies looked like, and also helping the group to create a, a global practice around data and analytics um, and to try and bring some sort of standardization and commonality to uh, to the way that Publicis is serving its global clients with data. Um, and that then led through some, uh, some, some interim consulting work to the role I have now at, uh, at Credera, uh, where I'm the, uh, the chief data officer um, and have been since, uh, since late last year. Nice, nice. I guess there's a lot of people out there that would only dream of being able to work at places like Microsoft. Tell us a little bit about what that was like briefly before we jump into kind of Credera. Yeah, well, as I say, the Microsoft culture has changed a lot. Um, But I remember when I went there and I got this big fancy job uh, at Microsoft, or what I thought was a big fancy job at Microsoft, having worked in this little startup uh, for six years. Um, and uh, and they, you know, they wanted to relocate me to the US and pay me what I considered at the time to be a fantastical sum of money. And so I arrived <laughs> thinking I'm the most impressive person who ever joined this company and only to discover <laughs> that there were about 80,000 other people who sort of felt the same way. Um, and uh, and so I had to, you know, really had to prove myself in that environment. Um, and as I say, I think the, I think the company is, has improved in that area a little bit. It was it was a little bit um, uh, of a sort of you know tough road uh, to you know to, to kind of to, to travel initially, um, but once you kind of get the hang of this big crazy organisation, 
uh, it really is, uh, you know, really fascinating place to work, uh, yeah. and uh, and just a lot of lot of super smart people. Um, sometimes, yeah, you know, mostly working really well together. Sometimes working against each other, as you would expect. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but just a really fascinating place. Mm, yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. Okay, so tell us a little bit about Credera then, if you will, kind of uh, you know who you guys are, what you're up to, and then I guess you know why you were brought in there, what your role is, where you're sitting within the organization and ultimately what you, you know, what you're trying to achieve if you would. Sure. Yeah. So Credera uh, um, is what we call ourselves a, a global boutique consulting firm. And so we're, uh, we're fairly small, about 800 people globally, um, mostly based in uh, the UK and the U S um, and um, what we focus on is um consulting around strategy, digital transformation, um, and cloud and data. Um, and the, uh, the heritage of the firm in the, in the UK in particular is, uh, um, it's been a, an IT consulting firm for, for quite a while, actually. Um, it was previously um, uh, um, known by, by the name DMW. And so we have in the UK um, some, some, some big, um, very traditional um, uh, corporate clients in public sector, energy and utilities, financial services, and then also some what we call kind of commercial, which is various sort of B2C and, and commercial commercial clients. And so those include things like the NHS, Lloyds of London, Hilton, Government of Jersey, and, and, and I'd say a bunch of large financial services firms as well. Um, and the thing that we really focus on with uh, with Credera is we're small enough to be able to move you know, quite quickly um, and and be agile with our with our clients, but we have that big client experience, which means we can really help to affect sort of proper change in in the uh, in the in the clients that we work with, and we have you know quite a considerable. Um, change management and delivery practice as, as part of the as part of the firm alongside our our technology uh, and, and and data practices and um uh, that said in the last couple of years really sort of supercharged in many ways by the covid um we've seen incredible growth in our technology and data practices um and particularly in uh, in areas where our clients have maybe um, embraced data in the last sort of five, six, seven to 10 years, um, but perhaps made some um, uh, investments which are now sort of, sort of adding to the complexity of their, uh, of their overall sort of estate and need rationalizing in some way, but also need to connect those investments to value. So want to be able to actually understand where sort of there are business opportunities for them to really leverage that data uh, to, mm. to drive value either in, in terms of savings, uh, cost savings or uh, also revenue upside. And so I started uh, talking to Credera last year um, as they were looking for um, for somebody to really spearhead the uh, the data practice, which is a relatively new practice in the, in the firm in the last couple of years. Um, and my role is really two things. The first thing is indeed to, to grow and nurture that practice as a group of highly talented individuals doing great work for clients um, and to help position our, our offerings to our, um, to our client base, both in the UK and in partnership with, with the, uh, the US arm of the, of the firm. And also as part of um, Omnicom Group. So the, the, the firm is actually owned by uh, another agency holding holding company, Omnicom, and so we're also building connections into the rest of the Omnicom uh, network, the you know, the media agencies in Omnicom, Omnicom Precision Marketing Group, of which we're a part, and so on. Um, so that's part one of my role, and then the second part of my role is really to act as a sounding board and coach for our CEO level client contacts. So um, I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of years talking with CDOs, um, and it's kind of a, you know there's kind of a support group. Uh, mentality to it at the moment, which is, you know, all these CDOs sort of, many, many of whom who have um, got their roles through a uh, long, incredible delivery of, of complex technology, uh, technology projects, or um, understanding things like data governance and other sort of more, what we might call sort of technical aspects of the data world. And now they are um, wrestling with um, 
senior exec level influence challenges and trying to figure out how they should be driving organizational cultural change to make better use of data. And so um, I spend a lot of time uh, drinking beer or virtual beer with, <laughs> uh, with my colleagues in the industry, um, sort of you know, scratching their heads over some of these these tricky questions. So that's going to be that's a big part of what I do at Cridera now as well. Yep. Yeah, nice. I mean, it's it's so fascinating to me, obviously, all of these conversations that I have through the podcast and what, what we do as a business through our day jobs is, um, it's just that, right? You know, we run into this nonstop and it's, you know, the, the, the technicality is the technicality, right? I'm not saying it's easy, but it's the thing that we as an industry are good at. We've kind of got that bit down in terms of building these solutions and products and, you know, whatever the case may be. But yeah, every data leader that I speak to, their, their biggest challenge is that whole, you know, demonstrating value and ROI and influencing stakeholders and making that change actually happen and adoption and buy-in and all of that type of stuff, which obviously is is exactly why we've got you, Ian. So, um, you know, looking forward to kind of getting into the detail on this. So I think, obviously, it's been it's been very well documented, you know, 85% of data analytics projects or initiatives fail to deliver what they were expected to deliver us, you know, something along those lines, I, I guess, a good place to start, in my opinion, you know, culture is normally cited as the number one reason for that. I'm keen to get your thoughts as to, you know, why that's the case, first and foremost. Yes, well, I think it it, it partly goes to what you were just saying, actually, which is the the, the technology side of things is um, uh, has a kind of tangibility, which is very sort of attractive for people when they're trying to figure out um, an area which is you know, sort of constantly changing, and where the um, the the goals might not be might not be clear. Um, uh, and so, uh, a lot of this work has historically been led from a technology aspect, and that also is reflective of the fact that. Many organizations when trying to figure out where they should locate their data function have tended to default on putting it into their IT functions. So it's ended up inheriting a lot of, of IT, uh, IT org sort of based thinking, um, sort of which, which is sort of along the lines of that, well, when it's sort of stood up, we're kind of done. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and of course, it's, you know, it's a, a tale as old as time of, you know, this frustration that IT folk have about you know, changing client requirements um, most IT folk would sort of you know if they could wave a magic wand they would get the, you know, the client to or the stakeholder pick their requirements at the beginning and never change them <laughs> but in but in data sort of changing client requirements is it's kind of the point because the whole point of data is that you are continually exploring uh, and learning more about your business as you try new things and you try to make new decisions and you evolve the business itself. And so you can't just put a data system in and say, well, it's, it's, it's done. Um, and so um, that's a big challenge for sort of on the delivery side. But on the, on the kind of consumption side, you know, the, the cultural challenges around data um, start with sort of change, you know, change management challenges that changing habits and attitudes is is hard one of the things i learned as i became a, a leader was that uh, a lot of people sort of think as they're going to become a leader that um, they will acquire this magic ability just to make people do stuff anybody who's been a parent knows this is also completely <laughs> nonsense um, that you can only get people to do things that they kind of fundamentally want to do um, unless you want to run a really miserable business um, and so um uh, and if people don't want to do what you want them to do, they will spend all their time thinking up excuses and reasons and ways of not quite doing the thing you want them to do. And so not, a lot, not enough attention is paid to really helping people to evolve the way they approach their work to be able to take um, more advantage of data. And, and obviously we'll talk more about that. And then I'd also say there's often a gap at the executive level between um, the sort of do what I say and do what I do um, uh, sort of messaging. So you might have uh, you know, a, a CEO who stands up and says, we're going to be a data-driven company, we're going to make decisions with data, but doesn't make, ha show any evidence of doing that themselves. And so they will say, we're going to do this thing, 
um, they won't um, commit themselves to any sort of measurable outcomes. Um, they certainly, if those outcomes aren't achieved, they won't turn around later and say, do you know what, that thing I said we should do last year, it wasn't so successful. Uh, that sort of that sort of thinking is the kind of thinking that everybody needs to adopt and it needs to start at the, at the top of the organization. Mm, yeah. And as you were talking there, you know, I was just getting flashback after flashback of kind of experiences that I've had sat on the other side of the fence, but, you know, hearing the same story over and over again, right? You know, when organizations went on this journey, it was a case of, okay, we're going to become data-driven. What does that actually mean? In reality, it meant they'd go and pay a load of money for some tech and then build a data science team and start building some models and things like that, right? And then kind of everyone's looking at each other very blank-faced when they couldn't realize why no one was interested in <laughs> in using what they'd <laughs> built, right? And um, and that's been my message for such a long period of time is that that change element, you know, it's almost the most important thing. You've got to have a plan and a strategy around how you're going to tackle that as you're, yeah, you know, don't don't get me wrong, the, the, the vehicle by which we move is the technology, right? But that by itself doesn't doesn't create results. So yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. I guess what does what does data-driven cultural change actually really mean in reality, you know, within a business? Yeah, well it's it, I, the first thing I would say on that is that I'm very conflicted on the term data-driven itself, actually. Because I think for a lot of people, it kind of conjures this image of this sort of slightly disapproving school teacher of <laughs> the data, sort of standing over their shoulders, sort of tutting at their spelling and their work, um, and that they're just you know they just they see it as kind of a downside. Uh, you know, they, see, they mostly see downside, and they don't really see the upside um, because uh, the you know a lot of cultural norms in organizations is that you know if, if what you do succeeds you're like good job you're, you're doing your job you don't necessarily get like a lot of extra credit for not messing up um but if you do something that doesn't succeed then it's like oh we need to we need to do a uh, you know a, a post-mortem on this you know this dead body um, <laughs> and figure out what went wrong etc etc um and for that reason i think a lot of people therefore don't want to commit ahead of time to the outcome of what they're what they what they're working on, um, and so you have to change the way people think about failure in the organisation, and and of course you know when you start talking about failure within an organisation. It, you know, there's a big difference between you know I ran this marketing campaign and didn't drive the you know the the, the click-throughs that I that I that I expected versus you know I launched this massive line of business and spent ten million quid on it and got nothing you know, nothing back. You know, there's there's um, lots of sort of nested levels of of trying stuff and and, and failing and 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 uh, and, um, and then sort of getting getting better. Um, but it starts with people having the courage to, when they, having the courage and discipline actually to when they start out on, on a piece of work to identify what specific outcome they're looking to drive and how to measure that outcome. And then as a committing to that, because a lot of times people say, well, I'm trying to drive, you know, this marketing campaign, I'm trying to drive clicks. And then you don't drive, you, get, you don't get the clicks from the campaign. And so somebody then says, well, uh, impressions was okay. We, we got quite a lot of, you know, of coverage, so we feel okay about it. It's like, well, if you if you are trying to drive clicks, then that's how you should you should measure. It. You, know, you can't change the measurement later. That's kind of bad bad science. Um, and if you start to think in that way, of sort of, it moves towards what um, Microsoft we called growth mindset. So the idea that you're always trying to learn something in the work that you do. And if you take that view of like, I'm going to do this thing and I'm trying to, and of course I want it to be successful, but if it's unsuccessful, then at least I will learn something. Then if you have that mindset of learning something, then you can only learn something by measuring something, by, by looking at what happened. And that starts getting people thinking, okay, well now data is becoming my friend because it's helping me to learn something rather than just, Wrapping me over the knuckles and telling me, very naughty boy, I didn't do my job properly. Um, so it's 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 really about about that. And the thing is, it goes from the very bottom of the organization right to the very top. And nobody is too big or too clever to learn something about the business through 
that process of committing to an outcome, measuring whether you met the outcome, and then figuring out you know what you could have done better the next time. Because the thing is, if you, even if you measure you meet your goals, you can always make an improvement the next time around. It doesn't mean that you, know, you, you can just sit back on your morals. So that needs that thinking needs to permeate the organisation. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we and I completely understand why, and I'm very much on this kind of. Um, train of thought myself because there's been so much money spent on a lot of these initiatives which you know the reality is is they've been they've been kind of technology plays right for the most part within most organizations and they've spent a lot of money and because of that whole cultural and change and literacy piece and all of the stuff that comes with that you know they've not quite seen the value that they were expecting but people try and fail in business all the time Right, you know, there's businesses try new things, different products, different markets. Some work, some don't, and that's, I guess, broadly speaking, that's just accepted within the business world. Right, we will try something; it might not work. We seems like we're at a point now where there's been almost that much failure, you know, in quotation marks around not being able to see tangible financial metrics around. We've done this; we've got this in return. That we're kind of almost bordering in on that now, as that's the that's the be all and end all, which makes com- complete sense. But I guess the changing culture piece obviously is integral to that. Who's responsible for leading that charge? I know you mentioned there, you know, bottom up, top down, it's got to be completely over the organization, which I absolutely 100% agree with. But someone's got to kind of take on that mantle of being the person that's, you know, waving the flag, right? So to speak. Yeah, no, that's an interesting question. Again, one, one, that I discuss quite a lot with with my CDO peers because um, it often feels like it falls to the CDO to lead that lead that cultural change, um, but they definitely can't do it on their own. Um, I mean, ultimately, I would say it needs to start with the CEO and the executive team, um, and because it's really a people thing. You know, ultimately, it's about changing norms of behavior within an organization, helping people feel better about, about trying things and, and not succeeding or partially succeeding and you know, trying again and so on. Um, and so as I, as I was saying a little bit earlier, I think um, this can be made a lot easier by senior leadership modeling that kind of approach in the, in the work that they, they do. And we're all very familiar with this. I think it's one of the most unfortunate aspects of how we perceive leadership in an organization is that we conflate decisiveness or certainty with um, with leadership. And so, you know, the, the leader who stands up and says, we must do this, um, is, you know, a lot of people sort of feel, oh, they, they, they seem very convinced, right? you know, they must, they must be right. Um, and it is genuinely challenging, and I've experienced this myself as a leader, to stand up in front of your team and say, I'm not entirely sure what we should do, or I think we should do this, but um, you know, do you guys have better ideas? Or, you know, I think we should do this, but I'm not certain it will succeed. So, you know, we might we might need to adjust as we as we go along. Um, and I think leaders can circum or not circumvent that they can address some of that challenge by being clear about the outcomes uh, that they wish to they wish to achieve and of course people can still debate the outcome if some you know somebody stands up and says i want to you know, i want to grow our business by 100 percent next year people can say well you know i don't agree etc etc but that's you know some level that's the privilege of leadership is saying okay you know, we, we've decided this is what we want to do with the business but being open and collaborative on on the how and the and the route to the route to get there, um, it's a bit like um, you know sometimes use the analogy of you know you decided you want to drive you know, across the country to visit your family, and you know the destination that you have in mind. You're trying to get to your parents' house. You know your destination, but you also know everybody who's driven across the country knows that as you embark on that journey, you will discover that there are various um, factors, you know, traffic jams. Um, uh, children who need to use the bathroom, et cetera, et cetera, which will influence the way in which you you, know, you, you, you progress that. Um, and and I think leaders need to model that to say, okay, look, you know, we're we're clear about the outcomes, we're flexible about the execution, and we want you all in the organisation to help us iterate towards that goal. And a good example of that 
well, Microsoft was that our leadership stood up and said, for the Bing search engine in the US, that at the time had three, three percentage points of market share in, in the US in terms of searches. They stood up and they said, we want to get to 20% market share. And there was a good deal of eye rolling um, around the organization. My eyes also rolled, but, um, but the way that we got there was, and we did get there, was by month in, month out, making incremental changes to the Bing search engine so that it just got better and better and better and claimed more and more market share. And so we ground out 20 points of share, um, 17 point increase in share for Bing, not by somebody saying, this is exactly how we're going to do it. And the number of things we did wrong along the way probably outstripped the number of things we did right by a factor of, I don't know, 100 maybe, because it was continual experimentation and improvement. But the goal was clear, but the, the, the path was, was flexible. Hmm. I guess you're talking, because, and, and as you rightly said, right, this is, a, this is a people thing. We're asking people to fundamentally change the way they've operated and some of these you know businesses have had people that have been working in similar types of roles for 20 30 years right and all of a sudden we're kind of saying actually when you do this from now on you need to do this this and this and they're they're kind of sat there going well why i've done it this way for 20 years why now should i have to change what what i do and you know i often think obviously even from a business perspective when leaders stand up and say right we're going to be a data-driven company and by being a data-driven company that's going to allow us you know this project will allow us to earn 10 15 20 million pounds a year more for example i still sometimes wonder whether these people sat in these roles day to day are thinking so what <laughs> it doesn't you know, it doesn't impact my world all that much it's great for for you but so it, it's really it's really interesting isn't it that that kind of whole concept around that but what you're talking about there is kind of a, i guess a a level of humility, I guess, from a leadership standpoint around, look, this is what we want to achieve, but how we get there, I don't know. And almost being probably open to failure. Of course, no one wants to fail, right? But the openness to to kind of be brave enough to stand up there and say, here's where we're heading. I don't know how we're going to get there. And we're probably going to fail several times before we get there, but that's okay, right? Is, is that kind of the premise? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you hit the nail on the head there with the... Um, you know, I think it, the, the biggest challenge at the very senior level is that, as you say, these are people who've been doing their, you know, been in their careers for 20 or 30 years. And the fact of the matter is that they do have, uh, or they should have, should have very, pretty good decision-making capabilities. Um, and um, a lot of that will be based on on data that they're carrying around in their heads. Now, you know, some of it might be sort of, you know, what we sometimes call anecdata, uh, you know, very selective um, uh, sort of recall of certain things. But, you know, somebody who's the, you know, the chief retail officer, retail, you know, retail chain, and somebody comes up to them and says, oh, yeah, should we open a, a shop in or store in this location? That person will likely to be able to make off the bat, you know, pretty good decision, you know, decision or recommendation of whether that's going to work. And they'll be factoring in a whole bunch of learned things about, you know, how close they are to the city centre or, you know, whether there's this kind of access or, or, or competitors or whatever. So they'll be using data, but, you know, but they, and so to turn around to that person and say, well, you know, none of that sort of acquired experience matters anymore we're just going to do everything you know, we've mm. built a model to um to <laughs> yeah. tell you where to open stores that person's going well, screw that model um and it's the same with you know, with for example a marketer who's who's acquired a a great understanding of their of their of their audience and knows how to put together a targeting campaign that's going to drive great you know great performance and the interior go we built a model to do that um so you really want to respect the experience that people do actually have and look for um look to produce data solutions that support their innate ability to make decisions doesn't you know not not just replace it um and so um uh and a lot of that is about making sure people can you know can um gain that feedback loop on the decision so they can help you know evolve their own understanding rather than just offloading their understanding of crucial areas to uh, to a computer mm, yeah that makes sense i guess obviously we, we talk a lot in the industry around you know and have identified very clearly this cultural challenge is a a real roadblock to 
realizing value or maximizing value i guess the how we address and combat that is a completely well, sort of correlated but you know it's a different conversation to to have but i guess often from conversations i've had you kind of get people that you know they almost know this is important but i guess businesses as a whole you know they've kind of paid lip service to so some of your points before around you know the execs not holding themselves accountable to metrics and showing and modeling that type of behavior you know they want to be data driven i've been very vocal in saying you know a lot of businesses in my opinion went on that journey because they there was a bit of peer pressure a lot of obligation everyone's talking about data and artificial intelligence and there was you know a fear of what do we you know what what does what is the perception of our business if we're not doing this or seen to be doing this but the cultural change then that needs to happen how do you identify whether your business is resistance to that change if that makes sense um yeah and well, i think i think some somebody does come back to what we were saying about sort of how um how leaders and managers respond to uh, to failure um because um if you're going to be using data to help drive your business, then, then you know maybe it's half the time. I don't know, but it's certainly a big portion of the time that data is going to tell you some you know a piece of news that's going to be bad news, <laughs> and you have to you know culturally have to be able to absorb that absorb that bad news. Um, and so, if data is being used to um, to justify decisions rather than make them. That's you know that's a red flag, and so you know one simple way of identifying that is if the metrics are defined after the thing has started, or after, <laughs> or after the planning has been done for the thing, then um, then that's a red flag because you should choose your because the you know, metrics are reflections of desired outcomes, and you should decide your outcomes before you start on your planning, and so you know. Even worse, somebody says, we did this thing and now we need a dashboard on it. Can you figure out the metrics that need to go on the dashboard? It's like, whoa, that is a, that is a red flag. Um, and, and then even worse, if bad news is you know, sort of swept under the rug or leads to you know, blame storming, um, that's, you know, who can be, who can be you know, stitched up for, for, for messing up. Um, uh, and, um, and then also, as we, as we mentioned a little bit earlier as well, um, a lack of transparency or accountability in senior level decision making. Um, so if, if, if senior execs are um, saying, well, you know, I expect everybody else to live and die by the numbers, but I'm not going to live and die by the numbers. And I don't, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't see why I should explain my decision making. Um, then those are all, those are all red flags for sure in terms of making that cultural change. Mm, yeah. I guess just thinking out loud here, but is the process much different to that of other cultural workplace issues in regards to change? You know, is that kind of the is there a connection between data driven cultural change and other issues that you have in in business, for example? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all really yeah. It's, there is a very strong connection. Um, it's, it's all really kind of part of a piece of the cultural changes we're seeing in. In business at the moment, um, around uh, around diversity and inclusion, um, and you know, there's some parallels to be drawn. And in fact, we take you know diversity and inclusion very seriously at Credera, um, um, partly because it's the right thing to do, principally because it's the right thing to do, but also it helps us to to think through some of these issues that are that are that our clients are, are, are sort of are, are facing up to. Diversity and inclusion is about valuing everybody's contribution ultimately, and um, and of course you know organisations have a you know have hierarchies for fairly good reasons. You know it's 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 very difficult to you know to run a multinational corporation on a kind of you know anarchist collectivist basis. You've got to have some people who have broader decision making scope than others, and so on. Um, people have different levels of experience, and so on. But ultimately. Uh, a, 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 an organization that has a high quality culture around around diversity and inclusion is able to um, listen to even more junior people who come armed with a good with a good argument um, and um, uh, you know not to mention 
of course, people from you know, different backgrounds and, you know, um, and ethnic backgrounds and, and genders and, and sexual orientations and all that sort of stuff. But it's all really the, the same issue around everybody who works for the organization has value to deliver. That is about, you know, what's in their heads and how they communicate that is is you know something to be you know to be inclusive about as well um and so as organizations make this journey towards being more inclusive um a lot of that can be can and should be connected to these these topics around um sort of more sort of more rational decision making and more inclusive decision making based on data Mm -hmm. yeah and i mean that that makes perfect sense to me, I mean, obviously, as you've mentioned, the, the, the DNI piece is, you know, top of most agendas of every organization and board, you know, in business in the world, I, I imagine at this point in time. But um, it makes sense that there's a correlation because really all we're talking about here is, you know, a process that needs to occur to allow the way we think and act and process whatever issue it is, whether it's, you know, becoming data driven, whether it's, we're talking about diversity and inclusion, right. And um, we've seen it, you know, quite clearly and often I'm, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm quite torn with this because we we've had organizations come to us before and say like, look, you know, we're very conscious that our board or, you know, our senior leadership team, for example, is white male dominated. Okay, fine. You've addressed that. Okay, you, you know that's step one of the process. You, you you're onto something here. But then beyond that, it's a. So what we want to do is we want to go and hire someone that's classed as diverse to be on that team because we don't just want a you know a white a white male dominated board. And I'm kind of sat there thinking, okay, that's fine. I appreciate and understand the logic of why you're doing that, but fundamentally, there's a bigger problem here that needs to be addressed and changed, right? At a more fundamental level, because you've got to that stage for a particular reason. And that reason's probably not a good one. You know what I mean? So there needs to be something that's stripped back, which it, it fascinates me. And therefore, you know, I guess just solidifies in my mind what you said, you know, they are connected. You're talking here about, you know, changing the way people think and act about certain topics, but obviously there's always got to be someone that's driving that initiative. Right, if that makes uh, yeah. that makes sense. I mean, talk us through, Ian, because I guess as I mentioned before, you get to the point where culture cited an awful lot for some of the the, the failings or, or the lack of value realization around these initiatives within data and analytics. But if you you know when you're speaking to these peer groups and and whatnot that you mentioned around, you know, the advice that you give, how do you typically kind of fundamentally set out your stall in terms of? what you should look for and how then you go about incorporating that change. Cause I guess that's the thing that most data leaders probably struggle with, right? They know that there's a change that needs to occur, but how to go about doing that is, you know, a different conversation, I guess. Yeah, no, that's, that's, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting challenge for, for anybody in, in this, in this kind of situation. Ultimately, a lot of it is about, as we were saying, sort of changing the norms of behavior within the organization. And there's quite a few, quite a few strands to that. I think HR has a huge role to play in, in, in that. Um, it may be that HR's work needs to start at home um, because the first thing you need is an HR function that the business trusts uh, to work in, in, in to work in a, in, a, in a good balance between the, you know, between the, the interests of the business and the interests of the, of the employees and to put in place concrete expectations around about how people behave and to reflect those expectations in the way that people are assessed in their in their sort of annual reviews or, or other assessment frameworks that they have so um it's it's very very important to move to a culture of understanding how people got things done as well as just whether they got something something done so if you if you achieved your targets just by trampling all over your colleague uh, that is not yeah. that's not acceptable and you know it's it has to be not just like oh well you know try not to trample your colleagues next year but well done for meeting your sales targets uh it has to actually ultimately hit people in you know in their in their in their wallets or you know some other aspect of their actual career progression um and so that's that's really important, and there's enablement enablement that needs to sort of you know, be rolled out in that kind of you know that kind of way. We did a bunch of um, growth mindset training at Microsoft, for example, and also education and training for 
uh, for managers and leaders within the organisation to you know to nurture those kinds of um, uh, those kinds of behaviours themselves to really elevate those kinds of considerations to sort of first order considerations around whether people are a good fit for for the for the company. Ultimately, you know, if somebody is a uh, is in a management or leadership position and they are they're known to be you know very difficult to work with and so on, then by all means help you know aim to coach them you know away from those behaviours. But ultimately, it needs to you know raise the question of whether they're a, you know whether they're a fit for the company. So you know this does it just stuff just really needs to be taken you know very seriously. I think there's also then there's some other more sort of tactical practical kinds of enablement that you can you can do around sort of using data specifically. I talked a bit about um, uh, about some sort of outcome driven sort of thinking and so on, and that kind of enablement. Um, is something that I think drives value across, you know, up, up and down the organisation. A lot of, interestingly, I think a lot of people sort of graduate from university um, with not tremendously well-developed skills in that area, because until you leave university, you're still very much doing what other people tell you to do. If somebody says, write an essay on this thing, you don't sit there and say, what's the outcome I'm looking for from this essay, apart mm-hmm. from getting an A on it, you know, sort of thing. It's just like, okay, I'll write the essay. And a lot of people join organisations and of course their work is very directed early on and so on. Um, but it's actually very, it, you know, it really helps the organisation in the longer term to sort of start helping those people think, okay, well, why, why, why am I doing these, you know, why am I doing these things? Uh, but then at the senior level, there's also um, education you can do to help people commit uh, and think about you know as they getting more comfortable with um with failure and learning and modeling those behaviors to their to their organizations and so on mm, yeah the hr piece is a fascinating piece for me because i think if you you know if we just take dni as we were talking about that a second ago if an organization wants to roll out some kind of change management around diversity and inclusion that's typically hr's job Right. Yet um, there's very few organizations that I'm aware of anyway that are utilizing the skills of HR to try and create a data driven cultural change, which is, mm. is interesting, right? Because they have the skills and resources typically to, to do that and are typically responsible for doing that for most other things across a business. So um, it's interesting because I'm sure there's probably some value that they can add for sure in, in, in that kind of journey. Which, yeah, uh, I, would, I would agree, and I think they, um, you know, there's there's also the area of, um, you know, as businesses become more and more dependent on data, data ethics is another very important topic, um, and you know, an HR, you know, HR organisations, you know, a lot of them, uh, you know, a lot of what they're doing as well is is minimising employee risk for the company and doing things like making sure people understand, you know. Um, anti-corruption policies and so on, and, and, and data ethics and so on has, has has become an important part of part of that as well. So I do think the, you know, I think it's a it's a, you know, first order consideration for for HR or mm. to think about that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So last few questions then. Ian. Obviously, we've spoke about you know the the importance of having the CEO on board and not just you know giving it lip service, but also you know holding themselves accountable to those same metrics that he expects his organization he or hers organization to um, you know to to kind of follow. But I guess there's obviously there'll be some fundamental differences right between how as a data leader you would have that conversation between the CEO and the board and the senior leadership team versus just the, the day-to-day business users or consumers of data, right? Mm. How do yeah. you, how, how do you go about kind of differentiating how you approach that? Cause that's probably something that I imagine is difficult for, for data leaders on the inside of an organization to try and tackle. Cause it's again, two very different conversations, right? Yeah. I mean, at the, at the very senior level, at the sort of the CXO level, um, I think the, the you know CDO can do good work by um, by working individually with those with those people. Um, you know, unless it's an absolutely enormous board, it's probably you know you're probably talking about a sort of a handful of people who have outsized influence on the use of data within the organisation, and will probably individually need a bit of a sort of a tailored approach. Um, you know. CFOs are, you know, very different people from CMOs, from COOs, and so on. Uh, and I think that, you know, is is about 
really looking for trying to understand those people's motivations um, and you know where they where they feel sort of threatened by data if that's the if that's the case and so on and how they can um, you know how they can get comfortable with with championing it in a way that is consistent with how they feel they want to you know, want to sort of run their their organization and their own their own role um, as you go down the organization then you can you know, you have more of a of a, of a, sort, of a sort of a common approach um, and and one of the things we haven't touched on actually is that you know for people within the organization who are expected to become more data driven um, if you're producing data or systems for those people to use then um, one important thing to do is is get those people involved early on uh, you know, if it's a system for four thousand people to use, it's tough to poll four thousand people. But um, the number of systems which have rolled out to four thousand people, where all it's a surprise to all four thousand, you know, nobody's <laughs> had any input up to that point. You know, is still re- remarkably high. Um, and to so to to you know to do that in a public, you know, in a in a in a open public way, if you like to to. Um, again to model those behaviors of you know we're going to build a thing uh the thing we're going to build is unlikely to be perfect it would be a miracle the first in it delivery or data delivery if it's perfect out the gate we never know what that is and to be again to be open and, and and clear about that and to um uh help to build a um a data community within the organization as well to help people feel like they are part of something bigger not just for people who for whom data is their job but for anybody who is sort of you know wrestling with you know trying to figure out how to think about how to think about data um, mm-hmm. i think those are those are some of the things that we can focus on yeah that's a really good point isn't it because i think there's always two things that kind of come to mind for me when you're speaking about that kind of audience that use or consume data or you know are it isn't their job but they have to input things and obviously you want as much quality and, and all of that type of stuff you know done done correctly is you know they need to understand what's in it for them first and foremost why, why why is it important for me to do that but but equally then how do organizations and the leadership of those organizations make it as easy as possible for those people to do what they want them to do because if they've got to start jumping through hoops to add something to a system every time they add a record or whatever the case may be well the people are less likely to do it right <laughs> because it's just creating more work for them so yeah that, that makes sense so um look want to finish on a bit of a kind of example or, or success story if you've got one so has there been a time in your career when you've you know seen a successful cultural shift towards data um, and if so what was the kind of outcome of that yeah well i've talked a couple of times on this on this uh, podcast already about about microsoft and that's really where i've seen the most dramatic uh, change in this area um uh Microsoft, um, when it was founded, uh, was very much sort of founded in the image of um, of uh, Bill Gates and, and Steve Ballmer, both of whom were very confident of their own brilliance, partly because both of them were very brilliant people in very, very different ways. Um, but that did create a, a bit of a, you know, a culture that could be challenging to work in of people who, um, as I mentioned at you know at the top of our conversation you know people join the organization and then the attitude of everybody else is like well prove to me you're not an idiot so i just got the interview <laughs> process um yeah. and um and so that did lead to uh you know a bunch of poor decision making in the organization people with ideas that they were convinced were uh, were brilliant um which if they'd asked more than a handful of their acolytes would have you know fallen quite early on one of my favorite examples of that is the uh, is the is windows 8 uh, we all have sort of ptsd about windows 8 coming out and microsoft saying well we're just going to completely change the interface to windows and this is awesome right and everybody's like that's just horrible right um and that was because of that kind of that kind of thinking, um, uh, what a Microsoft we sometimes call the hippo thinking, the highest paid person's opinion, um, mm-hmm. and um, when and that started to change really um, when Satya Nadella took over as 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 CEO, and and it's very you know I'm very inspired in many of what I, what I say in this area by Satya because he. Um, uh, you know, the first thing he did was model the behaviors that he expected to see through the organization. So he brought um, 
a lot of transparency to some of the core metrics in the way that Microsoft was being was being run. They weren't just financial metrics, but also um, other met- measures of sort of business, sort of what we call power, actually power metrics. Um, and in that, he had a very strong ally uh, in Amy Hood, the CFO. Um, and and so there was a lot of much more openness about how the organization was, was you know, decisions were being were made and so on. And then he really championed um, growth mindset thinking throughout the organization. Um, and it is said that when you want to make a, a sort of cultural change through an organization, it takes about sort of one to two years for it to permeate through each level of the organization. And Microsoft is a sort of six or seven layer deep organization. So over sort of five, six, seven years, um, it's um, that is sort of permeated through, uh, through Microsoft. Satya, frankly, was not afraid to make meaningful changes to his executive leadership team to bring in people who were more aligned with that way of thinking about the world and acting and, and helping other people to, as we used to say, transition out of the business. Um, and um, and over time, that I say permeated down and made it possible for people to, to be more open about bringing ideas to the table and trying those things out. At the same time, there was a certain amount of bottoms up as well. I mentioned the the, the, the Bing um, uh, sort of um, market share effort. That was one of the areas in the, in the organization where uh, we really pushed very hard on experimentation in sort of product, product development, experiment, experimentation and development, essentially. Um, and so that engineering organization became comfortable with constantly trying things at a small scale and seeing if they worked. And if they didn't, no harm, no foul, ditch that, move on to the next thing. And over time, that drip, that drove a huge amount of, of growth and success. And it's probably no, no coincidence that a lot of that was under Satch's leadership before he became um, CEO. Mm. Uh, so those two things really helped to drive um, a lot of, uh, you know, significant improvement in the way the company was rolling products out and making better quality decisions. The proof in the pudding is the fact that Microsoft stock price is up, I think, approximately a thousand percent since Satya took over. Um, so, you know, it's uh, from a from from sort of languishing and also ran alongside you know, Apple and Google and so on uh, back in sort of 2010. Microsoft is now um, the second or third most valuable company in the world. So it's a, a pretty impressive turnaround. And, uh, you know, and just a genuinely better place to work which is mm. you know which is not to be not to be sniffed at at all well yeah look thank you so much for coming on the show it's been a, an insightful conversation and um yeah we really appreciate your time look look forward to seeing how you get on at Credera and how that journey unfolds for you great well thanks Carl. it's been a real pleasure to chat that's it for this episode of driven by data the podcast i hope you enjoyed it i'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics until then Please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these too. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week. Thank you.